0: Support for this podcast comes from Avature, the AI-powered total talent platform trusted by 110 of the Fortune 500. From initial candidate engagement through onboarding, talent mobility and performance management, Avature enables organisations to meet their unique needs while delighting and engaging all stakeholders. Just listen to what Nilesh Boote, Director of Recruitment at L'Oreal, has to say. The solutions that we've created are so specific to L'Oreal that it just feels like a team sitting outside of L'Oreal and working for us. If you sign up with Avature, it's for sure signing up with a company who, with whom you will be really able to design solutions the way you want and also embark on a, a, a journey with where innovation is at the core. Visit avature.net and discover why global leaders like L'Oreal Choose Avature to power their recruiting and talent management strategies. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi, everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 354 of the Recruiting Future podcast. The last 12 months has been transformational for recruiting technology, with both employers and vendors having to adapt very quickly to the new market realities. So what does the technology landscape now look like in talent acquisition? What are the key trends and what do we need to keep an eye on for the future? My guest this week is David Wilson, CEO of Industry Analyst's Fosway Group. Fosway, as ever, have been watching the market closely and have just released an an updated version of their nine-box grid on TA technology. Keep listening to hear David's insights on how technology has evolved in the last 12 months and where it's going next. Hi, David, and welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Nice to be with you again. An absolute pleasure to have you back on the show. For those people who may not know you, could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do?
1: Uh, So. I'm CEO of Fosway Group. Uh, we're an industry analyst based in the UK/Europe, um, and we track and commentate on the market around next-gen HR, talent, and learning.
0: Absolutely. And when you were you were last on the show, I think it was back in January 2020, back before the crazy disruption started happening. And back then, you'd recently published your first nine-grid report for talent acquisition. Now. You've just done the the updated version of that, and I obviously want to talk about that in some detail. Before we do, though, just give us a bit of a background to the nine grid reports, what they are, and how you put them together.
1: Yeah, so um, so, so thanks, and I uh, obviously great great to talk to your audience again. Hope, uh, hopefully, they find it interesting. So the nine grids for us are our view of the supply side I guess the market options around different to- topics we have five of them in total um published actively published at the moment um couple in in the HR and talent management area a couple in learning and now talent acquisition as of I think we did an interim one at the end of 2019 and then uh first major one published April last year and then we've just done the update cycle and as you said an interesting 12 months since, um, you know, with, with the cold COVID pandemic, et cetera, and everything else around it. The, um, the nine grids are basically our review of the market supply options. We, we spend a lot of time talking to corporates around uh, what are they using, uh, what are they doing, who, they, who are they doing it with, what works, what doesn't, and what do they think of them in terms of the, the partners they're working with around it. Um, And that's really the dominant view that gets expressed ultimately in the nine grids is a distillation of insights really from the customer side, cross-validated and backed up by a whole bunch of independent vendor research we do as well. So we do a lot of um, uh, briefings, obviously, with all the main vendors. We do what we call a functional data capture where we go out to um, all, the, all the main vendors and get them to fill in our forms and spreadsheets with you know hundreds of line items of functional capability. We do demos with them. We do customer referencing and so on. Um, and all of that is used to then cross-validate, as I said, the perspective that we get from corporates. So um, ultimately, this gets distilled down into five dimensions, um, what we call potential, performance, Presence, um, total cost of ownership, and trajectory, and then those all get mapped into the uh, you know the nine grid in terms of uh, the assessment process of it. So it's it's a huge <laughs> monster of a process from our side. Each nine grid typically takes us three or four years in the first place to get to a published version, and then it, then in each year there's a huge amount of activity for each one, and and the nine grid diagram is the very top tip of a very large iceberg of customer insight, data, kind of research and stuff that goes around it. The report, which goes alongside it, also summarizes some of the kind of key trends we're seeing in the market. I'm sure we'll talk about those in in more detail. And we would certainly, you know, suggest to people they read the report rather than just look at the pretty picture. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, certainly that, I think that gives a lot more insight in terms of how we're looking at the assessments we're making around the vendors. But as I said, it's caught led by the corporate point of view, backed up by lots of independent vendor research and then distilled by our analyst team. Um, and, you know, uh, with a lot of peer review around that in order to, to come out with the N9 grid.
0: And uh, a, a quick question about who kind of makes it on there, because uh, there are lots and lots of different types of talent acquisition technologies, and it's a potentially confusing confusing market. W- what does this grid actually cover? What are the sort of the criteria for the type of vendors that you include?
1: Yeah, so main, so in, in, in the case of talent acquisition, obviously what we're looking at is the is the main um technolo- technology segments within the talent acquisition market. So historically, of course, applicant tracking systems um, were the sort of dominant start point for that. Um and then over time, obviously, what's happened is, and you know, talent acquisition is very much an what I would call an ecosystem market. So there's a whole bunch of different sets of technologies in there. Um, the backbone from a corporate point of view is say if you put this on with a corporate lens. Uh, and a corporate hiring lens, obviously. Then, obviously, the applicant tracking system was typically the entry point to that. Then across into things like candidate relationship management, and then across into you know a whole plethora of um, related kind of uh, technologies and services that sit around that. But we're focusing um, in this case mainly at what we would call the TA suite vendors um so the 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 companies that are really trying to sell their a uh, solution suite out to 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 corporate buyers um one of the distinctions um in this particular nine grid is we also look at specialist providers within that as well so one of the things we've done on the other nine grids is um increasingly as we've looked at things rather than having the historical maybe ats crn crm type um uh, classification where when we originally started the research, I don't know, five years or five, six years ago, you know, that would have been the logical classification to use. What we found was obviously over time that became less relevant as the ATS vendors started building out CRM capability and vice versa. So we started talking about talent acquisition suites, covering kind of the majority of the, the backbone, I guess, of that, of that T acre system. And then specialist providers who are providing maybe a more disruptive capability around that. So maybe around some, you know, just around candidate experience, maybe or recruitment marketing or whatever it was, you know, interviewing and, and so on and things. So, so we've taken that kind of methodology into the whole thing. And actually it, it's a uh, part of that transition also has infected the other nine grids. So we've moved to that kind of classifications in learning and in um hr and talent and people success as well um to to adopt the same kind of approach um so when you look at the nine grid you'll see circles which are which are really are assessing the assessment of them as a suite of capabilities and then specialists which really only pay in part of the the capability set but maybe where they're trying to do that with a more disruptive sense
0: Let's talk about what's happened in the market. So, what are you seeing in terms of where the market is twelve months later, and how have the sort of how are how have and how are the software vendors responding to
1: that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the to, to many you know the things that it's been the COVID pandemic that's almost obviously the defining moment in in everything or uh, the, the defining uh, driver in in lots of lots of things. And what we found is obviously that. From the corporate's perspective, to some degree, we we almost saw this kind of implode-explode dichotomy between them. So some, some organizations, if they were in the right space, you know, someone like an Amazon, for example, being um, the most obvious examples were, couldn't recruit people fast enough because of the changes to their business led by it. other organizations were busy furloughing everybody or laying them off. And probably not recruiting anybody, even in some ways for a for a while. And so that had massive impact in terms of the whole um, you know, recruiting um priorities, except within organizations. And it's kind of interesting that to, to look at the the response and the consequences that's had on the vendors. So, you know, obviously there was a period, particularly in Western Europe and maybe the US, where where it's sort of March, April timeframe, where nobody had a clue what was going in. It was the sky was falling in and there was kind of lots of uncertainty. And then I think what then happened was we started to migrate into how do we cope in this situation and what, what, what what does that lead to? And I think depending on where, from a corporate point of view, where you were in terms of that implode explode kind of um, spectrum, um, it had a big impact, right? So, I mean, obviously we saw certain organizations who had to literally kind of transform the way they were operating straight away to scale hugely, and others that effectively were shutting down to a large degree, but where we found that, um, and this was a kind of narrative we predicted, but it was kind of interesting to see it materialise, really. Which was, um, if you have an opportunity to change, because effectively there's a kind of slowdown or a higher on free, or, or, a, a freezing uh, freeze on hires, then there's a massive opportunity to fix a whole bunch of systemic problems that you probably had. And, you know, one of the reasons we started looking at talent acquisition four or five years ago was that almost every corporate we were talking, it was broken as a process. You know, there were lots of use of legacy platforms that were becoming increasingly dysfunctional. There was massive innovation within the market. The complexity of the ecosystem around TA was becoming more, you know, heavier and heavier. Um, and therefore, there was a huge need for change. But in some ways, there was a there was a problem with the with the catalyst to actually doing that. And I think in many ways the pandemic has provided that catalyst. It's forced the issue. And a lot of organizations have taken the opportunity to make those kinds of changes. Obviously, it's also done is it's within the within the whole TA ecosystem, it's also changed the balance of where people are focusing. So, you know, there's lots of interesting kind of things around talent mobility and um uh, changes around obviously the experience word gets put around on everything. So how, you know, making that really meaningful in terms of how that impacts, um, uh, you know, talent in the wider marketplace, talent pools and candidates and so on. Um, there's, you know, AI is all over the, the, the story and every vendor you talk to has got an AI roadmap, um, uh, Diversity, equality, and inclusion has kind of become a huge issue. um, Obviously, accelerated even further because of things like um, uh, both gender, you know, gender-related things, but also Black Lives Matter and so on. So, you know, there's all these things have all kind of come to to into the melting pot all at once. And um, as a response to that, we've seen quite significant changes in terms of the, the the software vendors as they both try to become a much more, uh, you know, a modern TA suite away from whatever their historical ATS, CRM slash whatever it was roots. Um We've also seen big changes around things like, you know, uh, pre-boarding and onboarding, you know, now that basically nobody joins, com- or for a period at least, nobody joined company and actually physically met anybody. So it put a lot of pressure around some of those parts of the spectrum as well. So, I think lots of changes across the whole board.
0: Lots of things that I want to dig into a little bit, a little bit deeper. But to talk a little bit about the the vendors themselves, when you did the original, when you did the the report a year year or so ago, there was no one in the strategic leadership box, and uh, that sort of seemed to reflect what was going on in the market, levels of maturity with some of the the vendors as they sort of transformed what they did. That's changed this time round, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, and so and and in some ways that's one of the biggest i mean i would say you know if i look at the 2021 you know the the the, the most obvious the biggest change is the um the we have we've graded people at strategic leader there's also an increase in the number of vendors that we've participated in it and so on um and i think there's been some Actually, relatively significant changes around the kind of uh, trajectory and rating on, on a number of different vendors as, as they've really kind of st- stepped up, um, in the, in the last 12 months. Um, and, uh, you know, that's reflected through on the nine grid. The strategic leader one is obviously the thing that everybody focuses on. And in some ways, um, the absence of a strategic leader in the previous two iterations that we did, both the interim and then the 2021, was a huge, I think, statement around where I think we saw the TA market. It and, and just to be clear, it was the only nine grid we've ever published that didn't have a strategic leader in it, which is kind of um, so it really is it was an exception. Um, and I think what we saw was that a lot of the legacy, particularly you know, the nine grids are focused on on enterprise organizations. You know, so typically large or large or medium enterprise um, organizations. Um, what we saw is that the legacy leaders for that space had kind of, because of various factors, um, because of acquisitions, because of other things, had kind of gone away, you know, fallen away, but they still sometimes had significant market share. Um, but, you know, and companies had yet to, as I said, really go through, find that real catalyst to accelerate the transition moment. What we saw was a number of candidate strategic leaders if you like so companies that were typically either in strategic challenger or core leader trying to to trajectory up but the reality is we hadn't really seen them actually make that transition in our minds you know there were still two there were still question marks around um whether they had really kind of approving that particularly for us in EMEA because we're looking at uh, an EMEA you know set weighted lens on this it's not the the nine grid is aimed at um european um companies and buyers rather than us ones so that also changes the equation a little bit um, and um so yeah so this year we've we've got um three vendors we've positioned into um strategic into strategic leader uh one of which came out of uh, the strategic challenger Box, which was Avature, and then um, Smart Recruiters and Phenom, which we've moved up. Phenom obviously being a specialist, Smart Recruiters and Avature being um, TA Suites. Um, and that's actually a really significant change in terms of the overall nine grid.
0: Just to go back to what you were saying about ATSs and CRMs. The 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 last time we spoke on the podcast, we were talking about ATSs. We're all building CRMs, and what was the future look uh, going to look like? And in the report, you talk a lot about talent relationship marketing. G- give us an update on what you're seeing in that area.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so first of all, I think if you want, and for any any other vendors, um, they need to offer more than just that ATS core. Effectively, you know, they need to be able to to move across or provide a backbone capability that goes across the wider TA life cycle and an ecosystem. So definitely, we've seen that across uh, fertilization between ATS and CRM continue. Um, and, um, and I think to some degree, some of the initial efforts there were – was still you could still tell the root dna i'm sure you know this is this is a conversation you have with uh, with your, with your other guests but you could still tell a little bit the root dna of the company and i think you know the but the desire to to transition i think has accelerated you know the need for those vendors to step up um the this the the, the looking at that whole crm trm kind of space really i think is is interesting so the um the Vendors have talked a lot around, um, you know, relationship and, and and candidate experience and how they kind of engage around that whole space. And I think that reflects, to be honest, what we see in the wider HR market as well. So the the, the experience word tends to kind of become very uh, dominant in terms of what we're trying to do. And um, but often it's it's a bit uh, can feel like it's it's a little bit of. Uh, you know, surface lip, lip gloss, in other words, people focusing on a UX of a system and saying that now delivers a great, a great experience around it. And I think what's interesting when you look at, so the, the other byproduct in some ways of the pandemic, which I think is interesting, is when we went into that pandemic, we know that skills was a huge um, question. Right and the ability to re- to recruit the right kind of people and the and 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 and, and the right skills in certain areas, particularly around future focused things, around digital skills and 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 agile working and all these kinds of things, that was already a huge challenge. What the pandemic has done, however much it's impacted all the rest of um, hiring. Has put those skills even more in the spotlight as being of critical need, and and so on. The difference now is every company is trying to recruit those. So, thinking about how you um, tr- you focus on building relationships with the with people that are um, have those skills in the market is becoming hugely critical. I think, um, and. Um, it's also becoming inherently something that's a much more omni-channel in terms of what you're trying to do. So it's it's not kind of the the, the talent relationship management type thing. Is not just a nice to have. Yeah, it's been an area where you building and maintaining relationships with the potential candidate talent, and including, of course, your alumni and people that have left you, is becoming really, really critical as a way of providing that ability to then, you know, hire hire those skills that you want in the future or, you know, particularly in the U S where it's been, it was actually, um, it's more of a rehire rather than a reboard, if you like, because they were actually, um, laid off rather than furloughed and thinking about how you, you connect with those people as well. So, so we think the TRM piece is something that's just become really pivotal, to the relationship between an organization and that potential kind of um, the talent outside it. And obviously I think also that is beyond just people that have already deemed themselves as being candidates or you are deeming them as being candidates. So I think it's something that has, um, and it probably, this probably reflects the way we think about marketing more generally is now is the the whole the way in which we relate to our potential market outside us has become much more um sophisticated much more as i said omnichannel much more um data driven and i think at the end of the day the same is true between a company and its potential future talent and 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 obviously some point within that some of those some of that becomes people who are actually candidates to be employed so i think this is an area where we see we expect to see that continue There continues to be more pressure um, and i think increasingly um particularly in, an, in, in 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 a kind of knowledge economy type stuff this stuff will become hugely important but it's also very important in transactional and blue collar as well.
0: I think that's fascinating and it, it really does reflect some of the other conversations that we've we've had on the, the on the podcast with, with vendors and uh, the practitioners themselves in terms of the sort of the the importance of of that relationship management but also the way that learning is is starting to cross over there. It's kind of a really sort of fascinating area and development. And I think the, the other thing and, and again you highlight this in the in the report that it's it's sort of related to that is talentability and certain in the early stages of the pandemic, that's what everyone was talking about. What was the, the talent mobility within their, their organization? But there was a sense that the technology wasn't really there to do what it needed to do. What are your findings on that?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I think obviously, again, the pandemic massively increased the organization, the needs for organizations to be a lot more agile and to be able to redeploy their resources in order to, to reflect what was going on in their business on the where that business was going to grow and evolve in the future. So, you know, uh, from a basic level, just to keep the lights on, um, towards a situation now where, you know, beyond surviving into how do I thrive in this kind of s- scenario? Um, and we also talked to uh, obviously earlier about, you know, the scarcity of key skills around this. So, um, you know, s- a bunch of topics: um, talent mobility, and you know, how do I optimize um, the ability for the talent I have got internally within the company to to be able to be um, redeployed or used in ways that's that's the most productive and, frank, frankly, more interesting sometimes to the employee themselves. Um, how do I connect that with an outside view of, of potentially kind of the talent that's there? because You know, I can either, to some degree, build, buy, or borrow that the skills that I need so so how do I look at that on a more on a more um a wider basis and a more connected basis so joining up the view of mobility internally as well as externally I think is really critical here um and we've seen things like talent marketplaces um become really an interesting disruptor space we look at those a little you know a a little bit obviously from the from the talent acquisition side of things but also within um talent and and people's success and the wider kind of hcm story as well so we're looking at those from both those angles i think you're right that um sometimes this felt like it was more story and and a bit of hype than necessarily the 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 product reality if you like that was going alongside it um but it's moving really really fast and, and i think that you know the what ha- is happening to organisations as we start to emerge, maybe out of this stage of the pandemic and going to looking towards kind of future operating models, etc., are just going to put more pressure, I think, on us being able to to look at that tone of talent mobility question from both sides of the equation. In other words, from the company's point of view, but also from the employees or candidates perspective and how they might actually know where we maximize the opportunity of everybody around it and there's very basic things that you know within the within the recruiting side of things where where we can obviously do a lot better job um, of working out that you know whether applicants for a job in one place are applicable or or usable in other places uh, whether we look at our kind of alumni and rehiring some of those people and so on as well so so i think that we're still in Early stages of maturity around that in terms of the solution capability, but also the way in which it joins up across the talent life cycle. I think that's also critical, as I said, both between, you know, um, externals and internal resources and alumni and so on and things like this. So, um, but it's an area we're seeing a huge amount of interest in. It's definitely one of the specialist dis- disruptor stories. That we see with a lot of large enterprise organisations, you know, this is an area where they think they can really have a big impact quite quickly. So it's a good area for specialists if you like to play, um, and um, and almost by definition, if that's true, that also means it will be a good area for the sweet players to play and a good area for acquisition. So, so I think we'll see quite a lot of things emerge out of that. Um, you know, as we go forward over the next 12 months.
0: One of the things that we talked about last time was data and analytics and how they play in these tools and how the employers use them. It would certainly seem that things are getting more sophisticated in uh, talent acquisition when it comes to, when it comes to data analytics. Is, is, that, is that something that you found?
1: Yes, but I still think there's a lot of room for improvement there. Um, I think, again, analytics is part of pretty much every vendor's story to some degree um and um I think the one of the things I may have talked about before but you know it's a theme we've we've talked about many times is is you know the difference also between big analytics and little analytics or between big data and little data so I think you know there's a couple of different lenses we can look at that analytics piece so one is is to do with the the efficiency and efficacy of the processes we're using and the feedback that we have around those and I think, when we look at um uh, when we look at the tools you know there's a lot more that could be done to provide i think meaningful data into the um you know hiring managers and people managing the overall processes as well as um as well as people running the overall processes to really give them good insight on what's going on within their within their um uh, hiring processes um, the other thing that I think is missing from a lot of the TA vendors is outcome. You know, they're still focused on things like time to hire and, um, those kinds of measures rather than the impact that those hires have on the organizations afterwards. So I think joining up the view of, um, outcomes from within the, um, the, the, the TA processes to, The impact that those, those people have once they're hired afterwards and do they, you know, do they stay, let alone even do they, do they perform? Um, I think is a really critical kind of lens that's a bit missing. Um, the other, the other interesting thing I think here is there's a big difference when you look at this from, you know, the, the, the recruiting's angle from, let's say an HCM suite where they're trying to sell this kind of whole, um, you know this whole value chain story, and uh, look at um, the uh, analytics from from more of an HCM centric view, and then sort of rippling that across into TA. Versus obviously, if you're looking at it from a TA only perspective, trying to work out how you you add more you know add more value and have more impact. Um, the other area I would say that that's that's kind of interesting is the more that we go away from the ATS being. The whole answer, if you like, um, and that it's all about the whole, the whole, um, TA ecosystem uh, as a whole. And there's a lot more kind of issue around the front end of the funnel rather than just the back end. Then obviously that also changes the kind of analytics that we want to use as well. So, so I think that's an area where, again, the more that suites become stronger across the wider, um, TA ecosystem and life cycle, the more that they will also build out analytics to be more meaningful um, associated with that rather than really just focusing on the applicant process once they're actually in the system. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. it's such an interesting time in terms of um, how everything's going going develop. I suppose that's a, that's a, a sort of question to, to you looking looking forward over the next 12 months. obviously in all of these areas you know you've talked about how you think things are going to de- develop but what would your sort of overarching predictions be in terms of how things might move forward in 12 months and what would we, what we would be talking about if you came back on the show again this time next year?
1: First of all, there's some there's some really big themes, which I touched on earlier, but we, we haven't gone into a lot of detail. But, I mean, the whole DEI agenda, um, the use of AI, I think, within there from a technology point of view, as I said, every, pretty much every vendor has it in roadmap, but I think it's been quite slow to materialize through to become really disruptive. And there's a lot of, obviously, concerns around, um, you know, things around bias and ethics within that as well. But I think those are areas where I can just see more both of those topics having more and more pressure. Um, I think the other thing is, to some degree, onboarding is still an under uh, under underinvested, you know, poor relation in this whole discussion. Maybe that's the transition between TA and being employed. But at the end of the day, in you know, we're in a world now where onboarding has become like hugely. Um, hugely challenged because of the lack of physical onboarding, I guess. And I think the key thing that we're seeing across all the markets is is effectively digitally led is the dominant model now because you can't guarantee who's going to go into the workplace or who isn't. And, you know, whilst obviously um, maybe in 12 months' time the, f- the workplace will look different certainly than it has been over the last um, 12 months um, and it will go partly back to normal it's not going to completely go back to normal so i think that's an area where companies could massively do a lot a better job in terms of how they do that um and um and how that also connects into as i said you know the outcomes afterwards who stays who performs etc i think that's that's a critical piece um from a from a vendor marketplace i think one of the interesting dynamics is um that uh, despite maybe the kind of the politics of it that you, the European market or EMEA has become quite, a, quite attractive to a lot of the US companies. So, uh, one of the things that's been going on in the background actually for a while is that the US, or some of the BUS US players of obviously, so someone like an iSims would be a good, good, good example of that has become much more assertive about what they're trying to do within EMEA. Um, and that's starting to bear some significant fruit for them. Uh, In terms of building momentum, um, you know, the other, uh, another big interesting prediction there is obviously, um, where one of those legacy players that we saw has becoming, um, kind of more dated and, and part of the kind of history story was, was Taleo and, um, Oracle has started to get an awful lot more assertive also, both on an HCM level, but also within, uh you know within the recruiting space again uh with its recruiting cloud offer um workday obviously continues to put a lot of pressure on and and um from an HCM level to uh, convince people they don't need to buy TA suites and specialists i think all of these dynamics are going to continue to amp up further um over the next 12 months um the thing i think i most hope is if you like that the the sort of um dam is uh is kind of a Broken, and the floodgates will open a little bit around the continued transition of organisations. As I said, you know the reason we started looking at talent acquisition in the first place was because it was so obviously broken within most large companies that we were talking to, and there was a real need for change. Um, and you know, there are that 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 drive of that change is being driven from a number of different directions. I think the pandemic has helped to unblock that and to, and to open the floodgates a little bit to the transition, despite all the challenges it creates in terms of the economics of, um, you know, on companies and so on. I think they, they recognize that they can't function like they were before. And I think so. My biggest prediction is ultimately that we expect that to continue and that, um, effectively companies will have to take a more radical approach to the way that they are are looking at the talent acquisition thing and that they have to really up their game in terms of what they're trying to do. As we come out of the more of the pandemic, I think, as I said, the skills we couldn't hire before are massively more in demand. Now every company has to be digital, not, not just those that see that as a, as a visionary transition. So, so I think the, the the pressure on skills is going to be more acute in the future um, and that um, you know c- companies, corporates need to up their game really around how they they do you know engage with that um and the processes they use the relationships they build around that future talent and uh, that that hopefully really is a strong vindication of of what's going on in the talent acquisition market already but is is as I said, I expect that to amp further as we go forward over the next twelve months.
0: As you said, we've only really managed to sort of scratch the scratch the surface of this in the, in the in the last half an hour or so. So I think everyone really needs to go and read the report. So final question: Where where can people find the research?
1: Um, yeah, so if you, it's it's on the Fossway website. Um, if you go to our nine grids area, you can see the talent acquisition as a section there, and you can download the report. Um, uh, for for free from from there to actually look at it as well as as I said look at the diagram. Um, the other thing is the all of the report the reports of our nine group reports etc and research is available in German as well. So if you're in the DAC market, there's a there's also a switch you can put on and get access to the report in German as well as English. David, thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks, Matt. Nice nice to speak to you again.
0: My thanks to David Wilson. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope You'll join me.
1: This is my show.